0: Chapter 7 of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume 3. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Celine Major. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume 3 by Eugène Sue. Chapter 7 Reflections. It would be difficult to describe the tumultuous and opposing sentiments that agitated Monsieur d'Arville when alone. He reflected with delight on the detection of the unworthy falsehood charged upon Rodolphe and Clémence. But he was, at the same time, thoroughly convinced that he must for ever forego the hope of being loved by her. The more Clmence had proved herself in her conversation with Rodolph, resigned, full of courage, and bent on acting rightly, the more bitterly did M. d'Harville reproach himself for having, in his culpable egotism, chained the lot of his unhappy young wife to his own. Far from being consoled by the conversation he had overheard, he fell into a train of sorrowful thought and indescribable anguish. Riches, without occupation, bring with them this wretchedness. Nothing can divert it, nothing relieve it, from the deepest feelings of mental torture. Not being compulsorily preoccupied by cares for the future or daily toil, it is utterly exposed to heavy moral affliction. Able to acquire all that money can purchase, it desires or regrets with intense violence what gold could never buy the mental torture of m d'harville was intense for after all what he desired was only what was just and actually legal the society if not the love of his wife but when placed beside the inexorable refusal of Clémence, he asked himself if there was not the bitterest derision in these words of the law the wife belongs to her husband to what influence to what means could he have recourse to subdue this coldness this repugnance which turned his whole existence into one long punishment since he could not ought not would not love any woman but his wife he could not but see in this as in many other positions of conjugal life the simple will of the husband or the wife imperatively substituted without appeal or possibility of prevention for the sovereign will of the law to the paroxysms of vain anger there succeeded a melancholy depression the future weighed him down heavy dull and chill He only saw before him the grief that would doubtless render more frequent the attacks of his fearful malady oh he exclaimed at once in tears and despair it is my fault it is my fault poor unhappy girl i deceived her shamefully deceived her she must she ought to hate me and yet but now she displayed the deepest interest in me and instead of contenting myself with that my mad passion led me away and i became tender i spoke of my love and scarcely had my lips touched her hand than she became startled and bounded with fright if i could for a moment have doubted the invincible repugnance with which i inspire her what she said to the prince must for ever destroy that illusion. ah it is frightful frightful by what right has she confided to him this hideous secret it is an unworthy betrayal by what right alas by the right the victim has to complain of its executioner poor girl so young so loving all she could find most cruel to say against the horrid existence i have entailed upon her was that such was not the lot of which she had dreamed and that she was very young to renounce all hopes of love i know Clémence, and the word she gave me the word she gave to the prince she will abide by for ever she will be to me the tenderest of sisters well is not my position still most enviable to the cold and constrained demeanour which existed between us will succeed affectionate and gentle intercourse whilst she might have treated me always with icy disdain of which it was impossible that i could complain so then i will console myself by the enjoyment of what she offers to me shall i not be too happy then too happy ah how weak i am how cowardly Is she not my wife, after all? Is she not mine and mine only? Does not the law recognize my right over her? My wife refuses, but is not the right on my side? He interrupted himself with a burst of sardonic laughter. (laughs) Oh, yes, be violent, eh? What another infamy! But what can I do? For I love her yet, love her to madness. I love her and her only. I want but her her love and not the lukewarm regard of his sister oh at last she must have pity she is so kind and she will see how unhappy i am but no no never mine is a case of estrangement which a woman never can surmount disgust yes disgust i cannot but see it disgust i must convince myself that it is my horrid infirmity that frightens her and always must always must exclaimed m d'harville in his fearful excitement after a moment of gloomy silence he continued this anonymous attack which accused the prince and my wife comes from the hand of an enemy and yet but an hour ago before i saw through it i suspected him him to believe him capable of such base treachery and my wife too i included in the same suspicion ah oh, jealousy is incurable and yet i must not abuse myself if the prince who loves me as his best and dearest friend has made clmence promise to occupy her mind and heart in charitable works if he promises her his advice his support it is because she requires advice needs support and indeed lovely and young and surrounded as she is and without that love in her heart which protects and even almost excuses her wrongs through mine which are so atrocious, must she not fall? Another torturing thought. What I have suffered when I thought her guilty. Fallen. Heaven knows what agony. But no. The fear is vain. Clemence has sworn never to fail in her duties, and she will keep her promise. Strictly keep it. But at what a price? At what a price? but now when she turned towards me with affectionate language what agony did i feel at the sight of her gentle sad and resigned smile how much this return to me must have cost poor love how lovely and affecting she seemed at that moment for the first time i felt a fierce remorse for up to that moment her haughty coldness had sufficiently avenged her oh wretch wretch that i am after a long and sleepless night spent in bitter reflections the agitation of m d'harville ceased as if by enchantment he had come to an unalterable resolution he awaited daybreak with excessive impatience early in the morning he rang for his valet de chambre when old joseph entered his master's room to his great surprise he heard him hum a hunting song a sign as rare as certain that m d'harville was in good humour ah monsieur le marquis said the faithful old servant quite affected what a charming voice you have what a pity that you do not sing more frequently really joseph have i a charming voice said Monsieur d'harville smiling if monsieur le marquis had a voice as hoarse as a night raven or as harsh as a rattle i should still think he had a charming voice be silent you flatterer Why, when you sing, Monsieur le Marquis, it is a sign you are happy, and then your voice sounds to me the most beautiful music in the world! In that case, Joseph, my old friend, prepare to open your long ears-what do you mean, sir? You may enjoy every day the music which you call charming, and of which you seem so fond-What, you will be happy every day, Monsieur le Marquis? exclaimed joseph clasping his hands with extreme delight every day my old joseph happy every day yes no more sorrow no more sadness i can tell you the only indiscreet confidant of my troubles that i am at the height of happiness my wife is an angel of goodness and has asked my forgiveness for her past estrangement attributing it can you imagine to jealousy to jealousy yes absurd suspicions excited by anonymous letters how shameful you understand women have so much self-love a little more and we should have been separated but fortunately last evening she explained all frankly to me and i disabused her mind to tell you her extreme delight would be impossible for she loves me oh yes she loves me the coldness she evinced towards me lay as cruelly on herself as on me and now at length our distressing separation has ended only conceive my delight can it be true cried joseph with tears in his eyes can it really be true monsieur le marquis and now your life will be happy for it was only my lady's love that you required or rather since her estrangement was your sole misery as you told me and to whom but you should i have told it my worthy old joseph do not you possess also a still sadder secret but do not let us say anything more of sorrows now it is too bright a time you see perhaps that i have been weeping it is because this happiness has come over me so suddenly when i so little anticipated it how weak i am am i not well well monsieur le marquis you may weep for joy as much as you please for you have wept long enough for pain and now see do not i do as you do they are right sword of tears and i would not give them for ten years more of life i have now but one fear and that is not to be able to prevent myself from falling at the feet of madame la marquise the first time i see her silly old fellow why you are as weak as your master and now i have but one fear and what is that that this will not last i am too happy what now is wanting to me nothing nothing monsieur le marquis absolutely nothing that is why i mistrust such perfect happiness too complete alas if that is all why monsieur le marquis but no i dare not i understand you well i believe your fears are vain the change which my happiness causes me is so intense so complete that i am almost sure of being nearly cured how my doctor has told me a hundred times that a violent emotion is frequently sufficient either to bring on or to cure this terrible malady you are right monsieur you are cured and what a blessing that is as you say monsieur le marquis the marquise is a good angel come down from heaven and i begin myself to be almost alarmed lest the happiness is too great but now i think of it if you only want a small matter just to annoy you thank god i have just the very thing what is it one of your friends has very luckily had a sword wound very slight to be sure but that's all the same it is quite enough for you as you desire to make a small black spot in your too happy day what do you mean and of whom do you speak the Duke de lucenay is he wounded a scratch in the arm monsieur the Duke came yesterday to call on you sir and told me he should come again this morning and invite himself to a cup of tea poor lucenay and why did you not tell me this i could not see you last night monsieur le marquis after a moment's reflection Monsieur d'harville resumed you are right this slight regret will doubtless satisfy jealous fate but an idea has come across me i should like to get up a bachelor's breakfast this morning of all the friends of Monsieur de lucenay to celebrate the fortunate result of his duel not anticipating such a meeting he will be delighted a capital idea monsieur le marquis Vive la joie! Let us make up for lost time. For how many shall I desire the maitre d'hotel to lay covers? For six, in the small winter dining-room. And the invitations? I will write them. Let a groom get his horse ready, and take them instantly. It is very early, and he will find everybody at home. Ring! Joseph rang the bell; M. d'harville entered into his cabinet and wrote the following letter with no other alteration than the name of each invited guest my dear blank, this is a circular and is also an impromptu lucenay is coming to breakfast with me this morning expecting only a tete-a-tete will you join me and several friends whom i also invite in giving him an agreeable surprise twelve punctually m d'harville a servant entered Desire someone to get on horseback and deliver these notes directly," said Monsieur D'Harville. And then, addressing Joseph, "Write the addresses, Monsieur le Vicomte de Saint Remy. Lucenay cannot get on without him," said Monsieur D'Harville to himself. Monsieur de Montville, one of the Duke's travelling companions, Lord Douglas, his beloved partner at Whist, the Baron de cezanne one of the friends of his childhood. Have you done? Yes, Monsieur le Marquis send them off then without losing a minute's time said m d'harville ah philippe request m doublet to come and speak to me philippe left the room well what is the matter with you inquired m d'harville of joseph who looked at him with astonishment i cannot get over it sir i never saw you in such spirits so lively and then you who are usually so pale have got such a colour and your eyes sparkle happiness my old friend happiness and nothing else and you must assist me in my little plot you must go and learn of mademoiselle juliette madame d'harville's waiting-woman who has the care of her diamonds yes monsieur le marquis it is mademoiselle juliette who has the charge of them for it is not eight days since i helped her to clean them ask her to tell you the name of her lady's jeweller but not to say a word on the subject to her mistress ah i understand a surprise go as quickly as possible here is m doublet and the steward entered as joseph quitted the apartment i have the honour to attend the orders of m le marquis my dear m doublet i am going to alarm you said m d'harville smiling i shall compel you to utter fearful cries of distress me sir you i will endeavour to give satisfaction to m le marquis i am going to spend an enormous sum m doublet why not Monsieur le marquis we are well able to do so i have been planning a considerable extent of building i propose to annex a gallery in the garden on the right wing of the hotel after having hesitated at this folly of which i have not before spoken to you i have made up my mind on the point and i wish you to send to-day to my architect desiring him to come and talk over the plans with me well m you do not seem to object to the outlay i can assure your lordship that i have no objection whatsoever this gallery is destined for fete, and i wish to have it erected as though by enchantment and as enchantments are very dear we must sell fifteen or twenty thousand livres of income in order to meet the expenditure for i wish the work to be begun as speedily as possible i have always said there is nothing which Monsieur le marquis wants unless it be a certain taste that for building as the advantage of having the buildings always left, as to money, M le Marquis need not alarm himself, and he may, if he pleases, build the gallery. Joseph returned here, monsieur le Marquis is the address of the jeweller whose name is M Baudoin, said he to M Derville. my dear M doublet, would you go to this jeweller's and desire him to bring here in an hour a river of diamonds worth say two thousand louis? Women never have too many jewels now they wear gowns decorated with them you can arrange with the jeweller as to the payment yes monsieur le marquis and i do not even yet begin to groan diamonds are like buildings they remain and then no doubt the surprise will greatly please madame la marquise without counting the pleasure that you yourself will experience it is as i had the honour of saying the other day there is not in the world any person whose existence can be more delightful than that of monsieur le marquis My dear Monsieur Doublet, said Monsieur d'Harville with a smile, your congratulations are always so peculiarly apropos. That is their only merit, Monsieur le Marquis, and they possess that merit, perhaps, because they proceed from the heart. I will run to the jeweller. As soon as he was alone, Monsieur d'Harville began to pace up and down his cabinet with his arms folded, and his eyes fixed and meditative. His features suddenly changed and no longer expressed that somewhat feverish contentment of which the steward and his old servant had been the dupes but assumed a calm sad and chilling resolution afterwards having paced up and down for a short time he sunk into a chair heavily and as though weighed down with sorrow placed his elbows on his desk and hid his face in his hands after a moment he rose suddenly wiped a tear which moistened his red eyelid and said with effort come come courage courage he then wrote to several persons on very trifling matters and postponed various meetings for some days the marquis had concluded this correspondence when joseph again entered so gay and so forgetful of himself as to hum a tune in his turn monsieur joseph what a charming voice you have said his master jestingly ma foi so much the worse monsieur le marquis for i don't care about it i am singing so merrily within that my music must be heard without send these letters to the post yes monsieur le marquis but where will you receive the gentlemen who are expected this morning here in my cabinet they will smoke after breakfast and then the smell of tobacco will not reach madame d'harville at this moment the noise of carriage wheels was heard in the courtyard of the hotel it is madame la marquise going out she ordered her carriage very early this morning said joseph run and request her to be so kind and come here before she goes out yes Monsieur le marquis the domestic had scarcely left the room when Monsieur d'harville approached the mirror and looked at himself attentively well well said he in a hoarse voice it is there the flushed cheeks the bright look joy or fever it is little consequence which so that they are deceived now then for the smile on the lips there are so many sorts of smiles but who can distinguish the false from the true who can peep beneath the false mask and say that laugh hides a dark despair that noisy gait he conceals a thought of death who could guess that no one fortunately no one no one ah yes love would never be mistaken his instinct would enlighten him but i hear my wife my wife now then sinister actor play thy part Clemence entered m d'harville's apartment good morrow dear brother albert she said in a tone full of sweetness then observing the smiling expression of her husband's countenance but what is it my dear that gives you such a smiling air it was because when you entered my dear sister i was thinking of you and moreover i was under the influence of an excellent resolution that does not surprise me what took place yesterday your extreme generosity the prince's noble conduct has given me much food for reflection and i am converted entirely converted to your ideas indeed that is a happy change exclaimed madame d'harville ah uh, i was sure that when i appealed to your heart to your reason you would understand me and now i have no doubt about the future nor i either clmence i assure you yes since my resolution last night the future which seems so vague and sombre is singularly brightened and simplified nothing can be more natural my dear now we both go towards the same end like a brother and sister mutually dependent on each other at the end of our career we shall find each other what we are to-day the feeling will be unalterable "'In a word, I wish you to be happy, and you shall be, for I have resolved it there,' said Clémence, placing her finger on her forehead. Then she added with charming emphasis, lowering her hand to her heart, "'No, I mistake, it is here. That is the good thought that will watch over you incessantly, and myself also. And you shall see, my brother, in what the obstinacy of a devoted heart consists.' "'Dear Clémence,' said M. d'Herville, with repressed emotion, then after a moment's silence he continued in a gay tone i sent to beg you to come here before you went out to tell you that i could not take tea with you this morning i have some friends to breakfast a sort of impromptu to celebrate the fortunate result of a duel of poor lucenay who by the way was only very slightly wounded by his adversary madame d'harville blushed when she reflected on the origin of this duel an absurd remark addressed in her presence by the duc de lucenay to m it reminded her of an erreur of which she was ashamed and to escape from the pain she felt she said to her husband what a singular chance m de lucenay is coming to breakfast with you and i am going perhaps rather indiscreetly to invite myself this morning to madame de lucenay's for i have a great deal to say to her about my two unknowns from her it is my intention to go to the prison of st lazare with madame de blainval for you do not know all my projects at this time i am intriguing to get admittance into the workroom of the young prisoner girls you are really insatiable said m d'harville with a smile and then he added with a painful emotion which despite his efforts betrayed itself a little then i shall see you no more to-day does it annoy you that i should go out so early asked clmence quickly astonished at the tone of his voice if you wish it i can put off my visit to madame de lucenay the marquis had nearly betrayed himself but continued in an affectionate tone yes my dear little sister i am as annoyed to see you go out as i shall be impatient to see you return and these are faults of which i shall never be corrected and you are quite right dear for if you did i should be very very sorry the sound of a bell announcing a visit was now heard here is one of your guests no doubt said madame d'harville i leave you but by the way what are you going to do in the evening if you have no better engagement i require you to accompany me to the italian opera perhaps now you will like the music better i am at your orders with the utmost pleasure are you going out by and by shall i see you before dinner i shall not go out you will find me here well then on my return i shall come and inquire if your bachelor's breakfast has been amusing adieu Clémence adieu dear we shall soon meet again i leave you a clear house and wish you may be as merry as possible be very gay and lively mind having cordially shaken her husband's hand Clemence went out of one door as m de lucenay entered by another she wished me to be as merry as possible and bade me be gay in the word adieu in that last cry of my soul in its agony in that word of complete and eternal separation She has understood that we should meet again soon, this evening, and leaves me tranquilly and with a smile. It does honor to my dissimulation. By heaven, I did not think that I was so good an actor. But here is Lucenay. End of chapter seven. Read by Celine Major.